Welcome to another episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast, where we focus on building better businesses. I believe in order to be the best leader that you can be, you must be willing to be the first follower and have a servant mentality when you're in a leadership position. If you want to be the best leader that you possibly can be, be sure to stay tuned and listen to industry leaders and hear how they built winning cultures in their own businesses. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Randall Crowder, and we're going to talk about funware, fun coin, and just overall a lot of fun chopping up between two veterans. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Be a Tactical Leader. We're over there creating a community on BeATacticalLeader.com. If you're interested in building a business while having a strong community attached to learning and masterminds, head over to BeATacticalLeader.com and find out how you can join in on the community. Randall, welcome to the show, my friend. What's going on, Zach? I appreciate you having me. And I, yeah, you know, we yeah. talked about this before we started, but I love the organization, my man. Like talking to a veteran, dialing in the process. You know, people can consume content, have calls to action. You know, get your insights. The, the first format like this I've seen, so I got to commend you. All right, just so y'all know, I didn't pay him too much for that, but I appreciate it, Randall. This is, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny, and I'm going to call this out. And I love starting the show in this way. We've talked for. 23 minutes before ever hitting the record button. Um, that is very <laughs> rare. I usually knock it out. Like you said, we're structured bets, man. I knock it out and I get rolling, but I don't think we stop laughing. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I want to give the audience just a little bit of insight before you, before we dive into too much of the conversation where, like we mentioned, you're a veteran, you're an army guy, went to the wonderful, with air quotes, West Point. You have an MBA from Macomb School of Business. You have founded uh, several companies where Overall, the big piece is you're the COO of Funware, your co-founder of FunCoin. We'll dive into all of that. It's a bunch of smart people work that I don't understand, so we'll kind of chop it up on that. But for the I most part- I don't understand part, it either, my friend. <laughs> so this is, that's where we're going to chop it up. Is I'm an operations guy as well. I don't deal with any of the smart people stuff. I structure, I build, and I roll. And I think that's a lot of what you focus on as an active investor and entrepreneur. You know what it takes to successfully launch and grow business. So I think there's going to be a lot of fun there. And then, of course, it really uh, highlights uh, the rise of cryptocurrencies where you like to speak on entrepreneurship, venture capitalism, healthcare, and those cryptocurrencies. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to chop it up quite a bit. But before we dive into it, let's hear a, a little bit of a fun fact about you. Tell us something that we might not know about your background, your story, or even the West Point Wood Snuggles stories that we can always chop it up about. Because I had Look, to. I had to. But what happens in the woods stays in the woods, Zach. I already told you that. Like, I can't. That is confidential. I have not evaluated your TS clearance yet. I Listen, what happens? West Point's a very... Very inclusive. Yeah, we, we, so tune we, in we to the solo other. cast on Wednesday. I'll tell you my experiences <laughs> with the West Pointers in the woods. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I, by the end of this, I'm going to try to think of something. I will say I hate talking about myself. I love talking. I love chopping it up with people, especially people I respect. So you know, that's why we spent 23 minutes talking. Being real introspective and like thinking about like things like I'm not one of those people that can like throw diplomas on the wall and like have little like, you know, walls of me. And so I'm going to, I'm going to frame, I know we're going to talk about bio. It's not really exactly a fun fact, but it's, it's something that, you know, as you think about what I've done, I can't really take credit for any of it. So a fun fact would be, I've made a career out of collecting jobs I'm utterly not qualified for. And, you know, I've gotten really good at surrounding myself with really smart people 
who have put me in really exciting opportunities. And I, I've ridden with that. And so I, I never met a challenge I didn't like and never met you know a situation I didn't want to make better. And I think that willingness to just kind of dive in and, and try to add value has defined my career. But most people, when they listen to my bio, they're like, why are you doing that, though? Like, I get what you do, but how are you qualified to do it? Yeah. So. And that's funny. I'm not going to say I thought that exact thing, but I might have thought that exact thing. Where <laughs> Everyone I'm, does. It's all right. Man, and, and like, could you be in the UFC or something? Right, right. Like, And I get it because it, a lot of people that want to work with me want to work with me because of the operations experience, right? Because of our mindset that yeah. is attached to entrepreneurship. We talked about the, the Army giving us so many great things over the years, but really the big thing is <laughs> you know, discipline and structure, the intrinsic values yeah. we get out of the military. Obviously, you have some yeah. amazing stories from the battlefield, but how have you taken those lessons into the boardroom? Man, you know, one of the best things that I think, you know, a lot of you know men and women in the military have almost taken for granted. I, mean, I always tell people they should read that book, Startup Nation, because it really talks about how, you know, Israel took their entrepreneurial climate and really trace it back to, you know, serving. And, you know, I think we don't see that exactly the same way in the States. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of soldiers get out and don't really know how their skill sets translate. And I don't think the Army does a great job helping them understand how to translate. You know, we would put somebody up against a Harvard grad and you'd think, well, man, you know, that's a Harvard grad. It's like, no, you're a two-time veteran of Afghanistan. You know, you have so much to offer. You just don't know how to articulate it and you don't know how to apply it in a private setting. And so, you know, one of my favorite quotes is actually a, a mountaineer, a cameraman named Jimmy Chen. And he says, one of his quotes is just, you know, commit, then figure it out. And I've really kind of taken that, you know, and run with it in the boardroom about just being decisive. You know, I think a lot of, you know, corporate America, a lot of companies, you know, they will ideate forever. You know, nobody wants to put their neck out. They don't want to take, they're very risk averse. And you really need to be able to rally your resources, you know, figure out, you know, different courses of action, and then actually, you know, set out a vision. And so kind of applying that whole commander's intent, you know, how do you kind of, you know, organize your resources, you know, how do you do that course of action analysis, but then give clear direction and go. And then, you know, you can measure that as you go, you know, you would know, you know, whether it's an AAR or, you know, things that you would do naturally in the military, bringing that kind of after action report and review to just missions in the boardroom with your company. There's a lot of value to that. I think a lot of corporate America misses that, you know, commander's intent, decisive action, and then kind of that after action review that, you know, the military just does for every operation. And it's really funny, man. I, I've taken a lot of lessons, especially from doctrine. And for those of y'all that aren't familiar with the military terms, doctrine is really the guideline. It's the science behind everything the military does. And I've taken a lot of lessons out of that, especially when I, I noticed you were similarly went through captain's career course or whatever form of, mm -hmm. of captain training it was for you back in the day and way back in the day, just so y'all know he's quite older guys. It's but all gray it's hair. That's why I say it. At least you have hair. Hey, but it's one of those, I, I did take a lot of action out of doctrine that I translated in my business, obviously the battle branding and everything I have for being yeah. a tactical leader. There's a lot that I like to play off of with that. But one thing I noticed in the military, and we kind of talk about the military doesn't teach how to translate that experience. I feel like the military is great on the science of things, but maybe the art form isn't quite there. Yeah. The art of leading, whereas here's the science of being a leader, right? 
Have you seen that in the transition into the civilian world as you've gone into business? Have you noticed there being a little bit of a blind spot of something you didn't learn from the military that you're now learning from the corporate world? You know, yes and no. And I think I don't know that it's just a, you know, an extrapolation of just, you know, a data set. You know, I found that it's almost, I guess it's a golden rule, it's 80-20. Like I found in serving, you know, that about 80%, you know, really love that you know, hierarchy, that organization, like, you know, we, we're always gonna, you know, talk a little trash behind the scenes, but you know, there are people who feel comfortable in that. And I see that in corporate America. Like I want to go, you know, get a job with, you know, Frito-Lay doing supply chain management. I'm going to get my business cards and then look, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but I'm going to get my business cards, you know, my left and right limits and, you know, don't break anything, do this and you'll make a decent living and, you know, just stay in your lane. Then the other 20% is like, get me out of here. Like, I can't take it anymore. Like, just let me, give me the reins. I need to go. Like, I don't have time for all this. I want to do things. And like, we saw that. I mean, you know, 03, we're fighting a war that nobody's ever fought before. And so you have, you know, a bunch of, you know, colonels and majors trying to tell, you know, a bunch of, you know, younger NCOs and lieutenants, like, you know, how to fight. And they're like, listen, I've been in three firefights since we, you know, since we got here. You don't know what it's like outside the wire. And so you kind of had to make things up as you go. And then supply chain hadn't been set up yet. So you're trying to figure that all out. So it's actually really entrepreneurial. And I, and I know you saw this uh, in Afghanistan as well. You know, there wasn't really a playbook for a lot of this stuff. You know, one day you're a trigger puller. Another day you're a foreign aid worker. Another day you're you know, teaching kids, you know, something about, you know, life, you know, or you're, you're trying to negotiate a ceasefire. So I think that like, you know, that 20% I found is just innovative as hell. They see the opportunity um, and they see the possible and, and you kind of need that. You need that balance. You know, not everybody can be a leader and you need people who can just grind it out and do the work. But man, that 20% that likes to just see the possible and innovate they're powerful because not only do they have that discipline and that organizational skill set, it's what you're doing. You know, you didn't have to start this, you know, it's like, Hey, I have something to offer. Now let me do the work to set up a platform. That's rare. I just think that there's a lot more people that could do that if they understood that, you know, this was possible. So I think, you know, I, I didn't feel like I needed to learn a bunch of, you know, more things, you know, talking to a, you know, I was raising money for venture a lot of times, you know, talking to, you know, a money manager, not that really different than talking to a battalion commander, you know, half the time I'm kind of telling them what they want to hear. And then I'm like, just go execute the way I know I need to execute. And so I think it just depends on your, what your experiences were in the military. I do think that, you know, what's happened over the last, you know, kind of 20 years has created a more entrepreneurial army because you have smaller units and those smaller units have more responsibility. And I think that's, you know, that doesn't allow you to hide as much behind the bureaucracy as I think we used to in big force on force engagements, you know, in NTC or something. Now it's like, all right, you got a squad and this is, this is your AO, like you got to do everything. And I think that has really shown a lot of leadership at a small unit level that we didn't have in past armies. And so translating that, you know, stateside it's really going to be on corporate America, giving those young men and women an opportunity. You know, so I love companies that have programs designed towards veterans because it's really the access. The talent is there. It's just the access. So it's less about what, you know, I needed, you know, because I had the drive. It was more about finding access points in the private sector so that I could apply that drive. And I like that. And I want to highlight, obviously, being a veteran. I mean, you, you served in a different 
engagement period than I did with me being more recent in, in 2019, but you were over in Operation Iraqi Freedom. So you were in, for being realistic about the time you were there in a much more kinetic time frame in the Middle East where I did some stuff, but you did some shit just to kind of highlight mm-hmm. attached to the combat operations you did and earn two bronze stars attached to the, that service. And what I find interesting about what you're talking about and what you said at the top of the show of how you've garnered positions that you have no qualifications for, <laughs> quote unquote, right? So you look at back, your, back. Your, your trigger puller with two bronze stars in the height of the conflict over there, now working into crypto and different areas and stuff I don't understand, right? But I want to kind of say that out there to the young soldier, the veteran that's transitioning, because that was the, one of the hard things for me is transitioning. Okay, now what? And I still owned six businesses when I was transitioning, yeah. but I still had this perception of, okay, now what? Especially we talked yeah. about the injuries, like you're getting kicked out, you're losing the yeah. losing the uniform, the community. So having that transition can be really difficult. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you found your new identity of who you found self, right? But yeah. and then garnered a position that you have no quote unquote, we'll say it quote unquote, you don't yeah. have any reason to be in a position in the no space you're in. But because of the mindset and the things that you've been articulate, got those positions, the proximity, you got those positions. Can you give yeah. that that advice of how would you go about that to that transitioning veteran? Yeah, absolutely. I think if, you know, we always say like dogs can sense fear. I think humans can sense authenticity. You know, they might not always say it. They might not always call you out on it. You know, people in the, you know, the further north you go, the more likely they'll call you out on it. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, don't really understand how to just own who they are and how to let that be present in, you know, whatever moment, whether it's, you know, a relationship that you're building or an opportunity you're seeking. You know, I see it a lot where it's like, you know, hey, um, you know, I really like this job and you know, I'd really like for you to hire me. It's like, no, no, no. It's a two-way street. Like they need you just as much as you need them, unless you don't think they need you. And then that's gonna come across. Like you need to be able to walk in, do an interview. And when someone's, you know, I mean, just think about the wealth of responses someone in service has had. And I say service or, you know, hell, organized sports for that matter. I mean, just, you know, from team dynamics to overcoming, you know, adversity to shared adversity. When you think about organizational dynamics, like what makes you part of a team or makes you a leader of a team, you know, you should be able to walk into an interview and be confident that you deserve to be in that room. And I see it all the time where people will interview like, she was, yes, sir, may I have another? Like, no, you know, you just say, you you need to ask the interviewer, like, what about this job is going to help me? you know, build my toolkit? What are you going to do for me as a business? If your interview is all about them asking you questions, you've already missed the mark. You should be asking them questions. Why should I take this job? What do you like about this job? What do you like about the culture? And so I think, you know, for me, when I got out of the military, I had one, literally, probably one defining moment that I think has tracked this theme of doing things I wasn't qualified for. So I got out of the military and I thought, I don't want to have a boss. Like, I think people, you know, come out of the military one of two ways. Either they like that organization or they're like, I want to be my own boss. And I wanted to be my own boss. I knew it in my heart. And so I think for me, I started learning about kind of entrepreneurship, you know, through my MBA. And there was like, right when my MBA started, there was this Microsoft was having this pitch competition. And, you know, I went in there and I'm kind of like nervous and like you had to come up with an idea and then you had to just pitch it in this kind of, you know, loose forum of like, but they were at Monopoly money. And I, I walked in and everybody's talking and I'm like, I'm out of here. I left. I left. 
I walked all the way back to my car and I was like sitting in my car and it was like this existential moment. And I was like, man, you, you know what you've been through? I mean, whether it was, you know, the army, ranger school, West Point, high school, doesn't really matter. Like you've accomplished so much. You have every right to be in that room. So get your ass back in there and just do it. So I went back in there and embarrassed as hell. I just started pitching and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I won. It was like $5,000. And you know, ever since then, I've never not pitched. And so I never fancied myself a salesperson. I don't like, I never really liked selling. But when I started like doing angel investing and then raising a venture fund, you know, my other two partners weren't, you know, sales oriented at all. So I was like, all right, F it, I'll do it. And so I just started pitching. And I was like, and, you know, and it's that, you know, you meet so many people where they're like, well, I'm not good in front of, you know, speaking in public. Well, that's because you never speak in public. You know, I'm not good at doing X, Y, Z. That's because you never do X, Y, Z. You've got to start and you'll get more comfortable with it as you go. But you've got to be willing to accept that you are capable and that you can get it done. And I see that in the military. Like, you know, you walk into a room and when someone says, you know, you know tell me why I should hire you over this Harvard grad. How much time do you have? I'll tell you why, you know, because I'll run circles around them. They've been sitting in school their whole life, reading from a book. That's not going to teach you what you need to do when, you know, it hits the fan. You know, what are you going to, you know, will you break? You know, will you fold? You know, you see people flipping jobs. Like, you know, I've had a lot of different things, but it's been under two umbrellas. You know, you got to have that thick wittedness. And so I've always found myself comfortable in every room I'm in, no matter how old they are, you know, young they are, smart they are. I have every right to be there and, and I'm not going to let you treat me otherwise. And as long as you know your own value everywhere you go, people will respond to that and, and they'll treat you like you deserve to be there. Yeah, man, I, I love that. And it, it's one of those, The it seems like the hot topic word is manifesting, right? You manifest it out there. Yeah. Know, and it's really putting it out there. I don't particularly love that term because it's very woo-woo, right? Yeah. Now, is it, do I believe it? hundred percent. But I say, that's really spot on. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's really putting that energy out there and returning. And I think something I learned, I have used this line twice in the last week alone, where people have said, man, you're really cocky about something. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not cocky. I just don't go into a fight expecting to lose. I'm going into that fight to win. That I think that's a big piece of the military. Like I can see the military being a very arrogant force, hundred percent, but yeah. we don't lose. Like that's the thing, right? We are trained. You go into that fight. So you go into an interview, you go into the boardroom, you're designed literally to not lose. And that's how yep. the mindset, I think that exactly what you're talking about. You have to have that mindset of I'm going to win. That's it. Like I'm here. This is what's going to happen. You ever heard of Marianne Williamson? I haven't. So I love that you just said that. And I'm going to uh, just, I'm going to read part of this just because literally this is right behind my computer screen. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. That for me is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, you know, I'm not going in to lose. You know, people, people want you, when someone calls you cocky, that's not about you. That's about them. Your presence is intimidating them and they want you to stop. And so, you know, I'm, in my mind is like, look, if you know, shine brighter. If you have a problem with my light, just go shine brighter. Don't worry. Don't try to dim my light. You know, I'm going to be me and I know what I'm capable of and what I'm not, but I'm, you know, it doesn't mean you can't still be humble. Like I'm not a jerk about it. But, you know, that confidence in situations based on a lifetime of experiences that only you know, that's why you're confident. And oh, by the way, you've created a platform where, you know, you are not only, you know, allowing people to manifest things about themselves to your audience, you know, but 
you're uh, you know sharing a lot of yourself. You know, an interview is only is only good if it's both ways. So you're getting out of people, and so you're doing that day in and day out. Like, I mean, talk about somebody who can make people feel comfortable, not only in a one-on-one, but in an audience. If you're talking to audiences all the time, and so you need to make people feel that personal relationship. You know, you're not doing that because you're cocky. You're doing that because you're confident that you have something to give. Cocky is when you don't have anything to give and you're just loud because you want to distract because you're not adding any value. Confident is I know I'm adding value and I'm not going to let you treat me like I'm not. Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting dynamic and mindset shift because growing up, I was told I was cocky all the time, right? And I think veterans, they'll be told like, but again, we're trained to be the best. There is no second best in a war. When you're in a gunfight, there is no second best. When you're in a boardroom, you don't go in thinking you have the second best offering or as an entrepreneur, you don't go in thinking my product is the second best out there. You have the (laughs) conviction to know, otherwise you shouldn't be selling that shit, right? Like you don't, if if you don't believe in it, don't be out there talking about it. And what's funny about both instances, people ask me, well, what do you do? And I'm so confident in how I presented it. Oh, that's really cocky of you to say. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm confident in this is what I've got. The value, the value set, right? And that's something that, man, I, I love. Again, it goes back to you being in positions that you have no reason to be in. Why are you in these positions? You talked about proximity. You talked about, obviously, you're operational-minded. The COO side of it makes sense attached to yeah. what you're doing. Is it that confidence that you found? Like, yeah, absolutely, I can crush this piece of the business. You you need me part of the team? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, you know, one story that kind of got me on this. You know, after I did that pitch, you know, it was right around the same time where I started doing a lot of angel investing, and and I, you know, wasn't you know independently wealthy at the time. What ended up happening was it was you know a lot of things. You know, if somebody says take the hill, you're like, all right, I, I got this. You're not gonna sit there and be like, I don't think I can. Like you know, so I like challenges. I like to know. You know, I didn't have any. You know, I, I didn't have a military family. I wasn't like, oh, you know, I really want to go to you know Ranger School. Just like you know, one of my friends was like, hey, you want to go with me? And I'm like, well, shit. If I say no now, it's like I didn't want to go. I'm like, all right, fuck it, I'll go. And so, you know, this was like one of those situations, same thing with the pitching. I was like, all right, you know, you want to go? Yes. And I tried to leave and I was like, oh, I can't quit on myself. And so when I was finally trying to network and try to figure out what career I wanted, I figured, okay, if I want to be, if I don't want a boss, then I kind of got to be an entrepreneur, but I don't have any idea that I'm really, I don't have any conviction about. So maybe the best thing I can do is learn from a bunch of different entrepreneurs. So I made a list of a hundred people in Austin that I wanted to meet. Some were entrepreneurs, some were investors, anybody kind of tied to like, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, people that had spoken at, you know, UT about before people that people that respected. And I knew going into it that, look, you know, old school sales, you know, probably 50% of them are not even going to respond, you know, 20% of them will respond, but blow me off. And really it's a 30% that I'm going to try to work. And one of them ended up being this guy who had just started an angel network, central Texas angel network. And, you know, I, I was like, Hey, can I just, you know, let me just help out. Like, you know, I'm really good with organization. You know, let me be a fly on the wall. You know, maybe there's some value I can add. And so he's like, yeah, sure. Why don't you come to a meeting, see what it's all about. And it was like their third meeting. And so I got there and the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, and this is disorganized as hell. Like, you know, they're just all, it's all kind of chaos. And I mean, you imagine, you know, you put a bunch of investors in a room, you put a bunch of chiefs in a room, they all become Indians. You know, it was real, just kind of chaotic. And I was like, man, there's a lot of ways to improve the flow, just the process. I didn't have to have a college degree to know that. I looked at it from basically an SOP perspective. So standard operating procedure. I was like, all right, you know, how do you know what to do and what to do for your investors and what to do for your entrepreneurs. So 
fast forward like maybe two meetings, the old executive director of this angel network was gonna was gonna you know be told he needed to leave. So I asked him, I was like, hey, who are you gonna have replace this guy? And he was like, you know, older guy, like fifty years old or something. And he so he starts explaining to me the replacement. He's like, well, da 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 da. This dude effectively explains Elon Musk. And I'm like, listen, I haven't been out of the army that long, and I've only been in like three meetings. But I don't think Elon Musk is going to run your angel network in Austin, Texas. And you know, and it was like they wanted you know somebody with like five different success stories, you know, multi-millionaire. And I'm like, this is glorified secretary work. Like I watched what this executive director is doing. He's just organizing people. And so rather, this is where I think it's important. Rather than ask for anything, I went back to the drawing board. I went home and I spent the next like month and a half, six weeks building an SOP for an angel network. It still exists today. So I, I wrote every possible contingencies flow. I created forms, you know, how to do due diligence. And all I was doing was going online, seeing what best practices were, pulling it into like one coherent standard operating procedure. And then I got a meeting with the board and I walked in and I said, listen, you don't need to hire who you think you need to hire. You need to hire me and I'll do it for free because I'm about to go to school. So you don't need to pay somebody. You need somebody who has no ego and just wants to organize resources. And oh, by the way, boom, here's what I'm going to do. I set down like a you know 200 page SOP on how to run an angel network. And they were like, you got the job. And so I turned that into the most active angel network in the country. I think it still is the most active angel network in the country. Out of that, I kept, you know, we kept doing a lot of healthcare deals. And so I met a few people and we ended up starting a venture fund only focusing on healthcare deals, early stage healthcare deals. And that was, again, not qualified for it. You know, why the hell would I be doing any healthcare deals? So I steered our thesis to tech enabled health services and health IT, because my thesis was I want to do right by doing good. I want to be in healthcare because the world doesn't need another platform to check out Kim Kardashian's ass. And so let me, you know, do this really cool, you know, industry where if we fund a company and it's successful, it might help, you know, people, you know, save lives. It might help people feel better about their care. And oh, by the way, I'm not qualified to do anything in bioscience or biotech or anything in pharma. So let's do technology because I love the idea of using technology to make inherently inefficient systems more efficient. Why? Because I hate inefficient systems. Anybody in the military will tell you, I hate, you know, meetings for meetings before the meetings. And so let's make that more efficient. You know, won't you hit me on my phone when we have a meeting? So, you know, I focus a lot on getting into an opportunity and then not stagnating, you know, being like, okay, what's next? Let's go. Like, you know, not wanting to just, you know, accept that win and then stop. And I think that's a very important aspect of human nature. People always talk about goal setting. They always want to do you know, take the mountain, take the hill. But what at least excites me, and I think if people are honest about it, they excites themselves, is the progress. It's the journey. I like being in the gym. I don't like being done with the gym. I love working out. I hate when I'm done just drinking my shake going home. Like, man, I can't wait to work out tomorrow. You know, it's like, I think I love the idea of never settling. And it's not that I can't accept the small wins, but it's that hunger, never losing sight of where you're trying to go. And I've just done that consistently, you know, from the time I you know, started working, I guess. I love that. And I kind of, I think I can encapsulate all of that by straight up calling you just a nerd, like a 200 page True. SOP. True. Only like an army <laughs> officer can do, man. No, I, I love that. And all joking aside, like the beauty of that, and this is something that, I mean, I do it on this podcast. I never related it back to 
military, but you do recon, right? You do recon, you gather intel. Yeah. And I do it with yeah. this podcast. I already know who my guest is. I'm specific, very particular about who comes on this show. I do. Yeah. I look at the background. I look at their about section. I look at the website. I have fun where oh. pulled up in the background. It's all about research. So you have an educated conversation about whatever you're conversing about. Right. And that's a big piece of what it sounds yeah. like you're doing is like, here's the intel. Here's the recon I did on hit on it. Here's not the problem. Here's the solution or a solution that I'm oh. recommending. And this is how I'm going to help you implement it. And I think that right there is so key of what a veteran can bring to an organization. Yep. I still remember this time. I think we were in, yeah, it was, it was, it was Florida. So it was swamp phase. And like, we, <laughs> and we, I mean, anybody hadn't been in the military doesn't just know how like kind of silly, you know, you know, you can be when you're with your buddies and like, you always want to be like cool and heroic, but you know, it's not always a wet that way. And like, we rolled up to this, you know, this clearing and like we were, I mean, this is now, you know, range was almost done. We're tired, we're wet. And we had just dried off. And now it's like this big, nasty looking like swamp, you know, just horrible. And like, nobody wanted to like get in this. You know, we're all kind of like, like hesitating, like, you know, trying to find a way around it. And, you know, RI just starts throwing simulators behind it. So you got to go. And so then it's like, now it's like, you know, move, you know, move it to contact. You're doing all these things. Everybody just, you know, piled into this mud and, you know, I think there's there's something to be said for just getting it done. You know, you can be too cute sometimes. And I see that a lot now in, you know, the private sector. Take engineering, for example. You know, engineers will engineer something to death. You'll miss the opportunity because you're still trying to fix a feature or you're trying to take one more action item or do one more ideation or one more brainstorming where what you need to do is get it into the hands of a customer and then they'll tell you what they like and what they don't like about it. But people are so afraid of that accountability. They're so afraid to take the leap. And sometimes you need to already sim in the back of your, you know, the, the, the back of your butt to get you moving. And that might be bankruptcy. It could be, you know, you got a kid on the way. I mean, there's all sorts of simulations that will make you move. There's a real famous quote that says, you know, no one ever changes until the pain of remaining the same outweighs the pain of change. And I think that is probably some of my, you know, the advice I give a lot to people, especially in the kind of the entrepreneurial realm, where they'll come to me because we do a lot of mobile software. And they'll be like, okay, I have this idea for an app and I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And I'm like, you can get in your car with your cell phone and a pen and paper and replicate that entire business model to prove that it's actually worth something before you start building an app. Why aren't you doing that? You know, people talk about delivery services or something. This guy wanted to, he was pitching me the other day. He used to be actually an RI. He's down in San Antonio. Great guy. I mean, I think he's hungry. He wants to do something. But he was thinking about building an app that would do basically delivery of convenience store items. And I'm like, you know, forget the app. Go put convenience store items in your truck. Drive around. Knock on doors. See if anybody will buy them from you. You might find that the margin is not there. You might find that nobody cares. You might find that, you know, you might find that people love it and they're willing to pay a premium. You don't know until you get in the mud and try. And guess what? Most successful entrepreneurs fail five, six times before they ever find their first success. So you need to start failing. And don't worry about that. You know, you're going to fail. That's okay. What did you learn from it? How quickly, you know, if you're going to fail, fail fast. So I think a lot of things is just getting in the mud and getting it done. Yeah, man. And I love, I mean, even Edison said, right. He didn't find the way yeah. to make the light bulb. He found 999 ways to not make a not light bulb. To. Right. Yeah. So you keep going that. until, and and it's something, and, and you'll relate to this, man. One of the lessons I took out of the military and correlate into the civilian world that a lot of people 
the analysis paralysis or the engineering it to death, right? Yes. They always think you are, you have to get set, then you aim and then you fire. And a big piece of where I've really tried to shift that rhetoric among my own clients is you get ready and then you fire and then you aim and mm-hmm. you start pivoting. COVID is such a perfect example, right? Nobody could predicted that. And if you weren't ready to pivot a little bit, I mean, how many people got crushed in COVID? And I love that lesson, right? Take your shot and then start pivoting, start aiming a little bit until you get it right. And I want to highlight before we wrap up, I want to highlight um, obviously the organization, the COO of Funware. Overall, it's a mobile software that exhibits game-like mechanics and behavior so brands can contextually engage customers and drive digital transformation. That's the nerd talk. Let's hear the real talk behind. A lot of buzzwords. (laughs) A lot of buzzwords. Tell us, what is Funware? What are y'all doing? Give us some insights. Yeah, you you know, you remember that old, I feel like I'm dating myself now. You remember Minority Report with Tom Cruise? Yeah, it was before I was born, right? Came out. I know, I I knew that was coming. (laughs) Right when I started to say it, I was like, man. Uh, (laughs) Hold on, let me get my cane. Now, the, um... So that movie, or I'll go even I'll, once I'm fully pregnant, it's in. So we'll go back to Back to the Future 2. You were definitely not born when that came out. So, you know, Back to the Future 2, Michael J. Fox and that big shark that almost eats him, or in Minority Report when he's walking through the mall and all the advertisements are personalizing to him, holograms popping up. That's digital transformation. It's basically saying, I want to make how you engage with brands contextual. I want to get you the right content on the right screen at the right time in the right place in order to make a profitable decision. And so, you know, it is literally, it's going to be the future of how you engage with smart spaces. So, you know, when you show up to a venue, rather than you being like, hey, Siri, and trying to find something, your phone's going to spring into action. It's going to turn into a mobile concierge, and it's going to help you find things you didn't even know about. So we were talking about when you were down in Austin, and then part of this is with the phone first, now we're doing augmented reality. But, you know, similar to like Pokemon Go, you can basically put your phone up to a street on rainy, and then see digital overlays of the real world, you know, come in here, buy one, get one drink, or, you know, go take this action or do this thing that might be interesting to you based on who you are, what's around you, what's most important to you. So everything we've designed both indoors and out is about how to engage someone when they're most likely willing to pay attention and how do we tech enable some experience. And so, you know, healthcare, you know, rather than just having a directory with some staff, when you show up, let's say you, you know, near and dear to our hearts, our hearts, you know, let's say you're a double amputee, or you might need some assistance once you get there. And how does that all happen? Like, how does, you know, do you have to get out, you know, you know, somebody drops you off. Now you're looking for, you know, support, you know, somebody to guide you to where you're going. You should just have a wheelchair waiting for you. You should have somebody, you know, taking you to where you need to be. So you're not getting lost. Like all that should just happen. But how does that all happen? That's contextual engagement. And so we're doing that now with software and we're layering in blockchain, which is exciting because if I can locate you and I can gauge you, what if I can incentivize that engagement? So now I can say, you know, hey, Zach, for, you know, a hundred fun token, will you watch this video on this product that you're standing right next to in Target? I'm right here. So why not? You're going to give me something to watch a video? Cool. I'll do that. Or, hey, Zach, you know, will you go to this location for this reward? So we're engaging people with incentive structures. That's fun token. You can actually buy that right now. So just buy.funtoken.com. And then as you do that, you're teaching data companies who you are and what's important to you you're making your data more valuable people sell that data all the time 
And so what we're trying to build now is the ability for users to get compensated every time their data is sold. So I told you something about myself. You gave me fun token for that just for engaging with you. But your data set became smarter and more valuable. Now you sold that data to another brand in order to give me personalized advertisements. Well, I'm going to pay you in fun coin for that. So we actually have two different digital assets built on blockchain, fun token and fun coin. They're allowing us to kind of create a richer ecosystem designed around engagement. So it's pretty cool. It's all happening right now. So it's exciting. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. It's going to be, I mean, and I guess you already have it, right? I have an Alexa in here that is listening to everything I say anyways, right? And all that's of a sudden, right. Amazon knows exactly what I need to buy and I have to refill my toothpaste, right? Um, is, it, yep. is it essentially going to start creating more of that type of engagement where that thing you need, that to-do list, whatever it is, is going to be kind of formulated for you? You know, we want to put it a little bit more consumer facing. So we do a lot in hospitality, for example. So, you know, in a hospitality world, if you are using either a website or a mobile app, what do you do? Maybe you look at a calendar, you do check in, check out, give them some, you know, select the room, some payment information and get a confirmation page. That's as much as you engage with any hotel today. With our application, it's totally different. So we would basically do all your valet from your phone. You know, you get your valet ticket to your phone. You basically select whether or not you need help with your luggage. The minute you walk in the front door, we would send you keys directly to your phone. You'd use your phone to access the elevator, use your phone to access your hotel room. You can actually order food or drink anywhere, you know, from anywhere on the property from your phone. So say you're in Vegas, you're at Blackjack, you're playing. You know, rather than looking around for the waiter and asking the dealer where the hell is the waiter, you just order it from your phone. And then if you get up and go play the slots, they'll just find you. And so it's all about tech enabling real world experiences. But we live in a mobile first world. So we use mobile as that platform to engage you. But I don't want you to think about mobile like a big screen to just watch movies and, you know, fight with people about politics and mandates that you don't know anything about. But I want you to use this as a mobile computer that I can access you with because it's location aware. It knows more about what's in the virtual world that's important to you than you do. And it knows where you are in the real world. How do we bring that all together to create these really rich experiences in the real world? You got to have a mobile platform that's extensible that can do that. So that's kind of what we're building. That's absolutely fascinating. That's going to be a lot of fun long-term. I mean, it just kind of simplifies... Yeah, there it is. A lot of fun with the pH. I love it, man. <laughs> it sounds like it's just fascinating tech, man. And it's obviously already on the roll. And before we go, I want to know, there's a lot you have going from the military to all the things you've done, totally out of your realm, right? Where you're really, yeah. if you're not inspired by your journey and your veteran out there, like this is inspiring because literally you can go accomplish what we want to accomplish, right? And I want to know with everything you're doing, man, what's the legacy you're looking to leave on the world as you're doing all these amazing things? That's a great question. You know, my legacy really, I mean, it, you know, I think we all have a different measure. I do more speaking now and I enjoy it because honestly, I get to meet people like you, you know, but my legacy is measured, you know, very small. It's measured in the eyes of the children that I haven't had yet. You know, so I keep thinking about like, you know, everything I do, you know, everything I say, every, there's an old adage in entrepreneurship world where it'd be like, you know, if you were going to write this email and it was going to be published on the New York Times tomorrow, would you write it the same way? Or, you know, would you say it the same way? And it's just kind of a, a check on, you know, are you putting out into the world the energy that you really want to put out? And so I think about that with my kids. You know, my legacy is for my kids. It's literally like, you know, I want to be able to look and say, I never left an opportunity worse 
than when I arrived. You know, I constantly strive to add value and I constantly strive to do it in a way that never, you know, hurt anyone else. Like I love lifting people up. I don't, you know, that idea, I, I'm an abundant, uh, you know, Grant Cardone talks about this all the time, you know, living a life of abundance. There's plenty, there's plenty for everybody. It's not a zero sum game. You can create, you know, lightning in a bottle. Um, you just have to have the the willingness uh, and the initiative to do it. And so I really find like, you know, in this day and age, perseverance and consistency is a superpower. So like my legacy is just, I never stopped. And people kind of will say like, oh man, like, you know, chill, chill out, slow down. Like if your dreams don't make people worry about you, you're dreaming too small, but I don't do it for recognition. I do it because I just, you know, if God gave you gifts or whatever you believe in, if the universe gave you gifts, evolution gave you gifts, training gave you gifts, you know, some religious, you know, figure gave you gifts and you're not using them. What are you doing? They always say that human beings are the only species on a planet that will live less than what they're capable of doing. You know, a lion will be the best lion it can be. A bird will be the best bird it can be. Only humans live below our potential. And I never want to do that. So like, I want my legacy for everyone who's met me to be like, man, dude's fired up and he never stops and he keeps cranking and he's always trying to add value, always makes time for other people. And he loves dogs. I love it, man. It's, it's such a great legacy to be leaving. And you're already well on your way. What's the best way for the audience to reach out to you, follow you, connect with you, but also with Funware and everything you're doing over there? Yeah, absolutely. Easy. So, you know, Funware with a PH. So P-H-U-N-W-A-R-E to so Funware.com. You can find me on just about everything at Randall Crowder. So R-A-N-D-A-L-L-C-R-O-W-D-E-R. If you want to find out some of the things that we're doing at Funware, especially around crypto, funtoken.com, and you can buy it. And so it's buy.funtoken.com. And then Funcoin is just funcoin.com. So, and then, you know, all that is managed by an actual mobile application you can download today and start earning Fun Token. And that's called Fun Wallet. So, funwallet.com. So, you can go to Funware, find all this stuff. You can find me on LinkedIn, Randall Crowder, Instagram, Randall Crowder. It's all the same. I'm easily accessible. I'm pretty transparent and I'm pretty responsive. You know, I try to help people when I can, even if, you know, I think what's that other quote, you know, you're defined by, you know, what you do for people who can't help you. So, you know, if I can help others, I always try to. So if I can be a resource to anybody, especially veterans, please reach out. Let me know how I can help. And this was, you know, honestly, you know, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your community. This has been a, a real treat for me. Yeah, I love it. Randall, thanks for your time. Thanks for the energy, my friend. And we'll definitely uh, chop it up on Tactical Friday. So everybody come back and listen on that one. Absolutely. And we'll chop it up next time you're in Austin. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast. And I hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today. I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Night Protection Services. If you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does 5 to $10 million a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs, which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary, all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25% in insurance costs, be sure to visit nightprotectionllc.com.